Turn your Bibles to the book of Hebrews chapter 8. Uh, you remember that uh, uh, Joel Shorey had been with us the week before we started preaching on Hebrews, where he, from memory, gave uh, the book of Hebrews, recited it to us. And I was with him yesterday, and uh, he was asking where we were. And so I said, we'd be starting chapter 8, and he started quoting verse 1. <laughs> Last week, uh, we saw, uh, we are given a, a sight of the way in which Jesus, as high priest, intercedes for us. That he intercedes uh, in a way that is permanent, powerful, faithful, and perfect. Now, the writer of Hebrews adds to that from where he intercedes for us. We see it in verse 1. Uh, he's very direct with letting us know what he's driving our attention to. Now the point in what we're saying is this. We have such a high priest. Referring back to what I just mentioned. We have such a high priest who is permanent, faithful, powerful, and perfect. We have such a high priest, and he is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven. I think if you had a dream vacation once in a lifetime, opportunity to go to the one place in the world that you would want to go to more than any other, and to prepare for that, you could go online and get guidebooks and do all that you could to try to prepare because you want to make that vacation the best it could be. And as helpful as those things would be, what would be far better is if you knew someone who lived there. And better yet, someone who had a beautiful chalet that you could live in while you're there, and they would take you to all the best restaurants, all the best locations, not just where all the tourists go, but the really good places. Now that would be best. And so we have Christ, the perfect intercessor who does so from heaven himself. He intercedes from eternity, from the place of the presence of God, from there he intercedes for us. So as we read through this passage, what we want to keep in mind is, the point is this, our intercessor intercedes from heaven for us. Now the point of what we're saying is this, we have such a high priest, one who is seated on the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven, a minister in the holy places, in the true tent that the Lord set up, not man. For every high priest is appointed to offer gifts and sacrifices. Thus it is necessary for this priest also to have something to offer. Now if he were on earth, he would not be a priest at all since there are priests who offer gifts according to the law, they serve a copy 
and shadow of the heavenly things. For when Moses was about to erect the tent, meaning the tabernacle, he was instructed by God saying, see that you make everything according to the pattern that was shown you on the mountain. But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is as much more excellent than the old as the covenant he mediates is better since it is enacted on better promises. Our Heavenly Father, we ask that you would cause your word that you have given for us to have its intended purpose within us. May it awaken our hearts and our thoughts uh, to the truths that you have here for us. Give us faith for it. Give us clarity in its application. We praise you for the goodness of what you have to say to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Jesus intercedes from uh, what is often called in the world the better place. I've been to a lot of funerals, and in every single one, regardless of how the person lived while they're in this world, people speak of them being in a better place. Uh, people are very concerned at that time with the better place. In the, the movie Cowboys and Aliens, the heroine turns out to be a good alien who helps the cowboys take down the bad aliens by blowing them up and their ship. Uh, but unfortunately, she gets blown up with them. And at the very end, afterward, the gruff character played by Harrison Ford says, she's in a better place. So it would seem even aliens want to be in a better place. Somehow the world wants the aliens to be in a better place when it's all done. Now we have to ask, why are heavenly things better? Why is heaven, even those who don't spend a moment of time thinking about heaven or the ruler of it, why are they so convinced it's a better place? Begin with, nobody blows up. There are no bad aliens. And there is no grief. And there are no heavy hearts. And there are no relationships in conflict. And there's, there's no burden for our own failures. There's a lot the world doesn't think of or understand, but they are right. There is a better place. On earth, corruption and brokenness are immersed and intertwined in some measure, with everything we experience. Every relationship 
has moments where corruption has found its way in. All of our good works and best intentions we find, selfishness, we find disappointment. And those who are the best among us, even the the leaders God gives to us to bless and serve us are filled with all the same weaknesses and live in homes with all the same burdens. It is our, our common experience. Even unbelievers have some sense that there's something better that they hope they could have, that they're wishing they can end up in. But at our best, as we see in verse 5, we can only produce a shadow of heavenly things. Now think about the example that's given directly to us about Moses. If we could have someone on earth in our corner, Moses is a pretty good place to start. The one whom Scripture says that different from all the other prophets, Moses spoke to God face to face. He was the most humble man on the face of the earth. I mean, anyone who has a staff puts it in the ground and the sea opens up. Rather impressive. And we're told that God gave him exact directions. This is what you do for the pattern of the tabernacle that will be the center of worship where the pillar of cloud and fire will come that represents my presence. Here's exactly what you do. And Moses listened and did exactly what God had told him to do. And he and all that he did were but a shadow. Symbols of the one that we truly need. Moses was not enough. And the tabernacle was not enough. And the old covenant and its sacrifices and laws and all these things given by God so good were not enough. An earthly priest can only serve amidst their ignorance, their weakness and flaws. But Jesus, Jesus, we see verse 2, he ministers to us from what he says here, the true tent that God set up. What man didn't set up, meaning uh, the, the true presence of God. That which is not made by human hands, no place that we create or form, it is the kingdom of God, the presence of God in it. Jesus ministers from the true presence of God. In this sense, we can say that Jesus doesn't intercede for us 
to God as much as it intercedes for us from God. The Son sent to us that we might be restored to our creator God. What the world doesn't see, even if they have some blurry or hopeful sense of a better place, and if you really press them on it, they'd acknowledge, well, God's there. What they don't seem to really get or make the connection is if you're really believing there's a better place, well, then how and why is it better? And what would be the implications for us if there really is this better place, why is it better? The answer is it's better because Christ rules in his perfect faithfulness and Here's the part we can't miss. And everyone there submits to that rule. It is a better place because it is the rule of God over the people of God in complete submission to God in their love for him. It is that complete immersion and commitment and submission to our faithful God that makes heaven a better place than here. On earth, we, we try to rule everything, which is why everything breaks down and there is corruption in everything. We try to rule, but we don't do so out of perfection or in complete faithfulness. The wretchedness of life on this earth why people are hoping for something better is because we ignore God. And every grief and sorrow that anyone has ever experienced has its roots back in our rebellion against God and our sin. Now, people can try to argue against that all they want but the proof is the world as we've made it. And we've had a few years now, a few generation, a few millennium to observe the mistakes and fix ourselves and improve and be better and none of it has had an effect on the condition of the human soul. We can just make our bodies more comfortable We've found some new luxuries. We haven't improved the human soul. People aren't happier, friendlier, kinder. Marriages aren't stronger. Children aren't more thankful and obedient. The world is not a happier place because we've tried so hard and learned so much. The world continues to be a place of despair because we continue to be people of sin. How do we find hope for better to come? Because our passage is speaking about Christ being much more excellent, mediating a better covenant with better promises. 
How do we hope for this better? How does better come to us? How do we inherit the better? How do we live in better? And it's not complicated. One, we recognize the cause. That things aren't better, that we need better. The cause is we are sinners. Our sin is the problem. And specifically that we have sinned against God. We have turned from him. Our sin is why we yearn for better. We recognize the cause and we receive the solution that Christ alone can save. And there is no better place without Christ. Not just that, it requires Christ for it to be the better place, but we do not enter any better place without Christ. Because our sin has not just brought corruption to our lives and messed up our relationships and brought discontent. Our sin has also brought the appropriate response from God who is just and holy, which is to condemn and bring his just wrath against all sin. There is better but only because Christ makes it so, and only through trust in Christ can we enter into it. So this is not a complicated thing. This is the recognition of what we should be able to see honestly about ourselves and our sin and receiving what God does. And that's it. We do no works for a better place. We trust in Christ who has worked. For Christ is no one less than the eternal Son of God who humbled himself and became man and lived a perfect life in order that he might die on the cross paying for our guilt and sin, taking the Father's wrath upon himself that we might be forgiven cleansed and restored in an eternal relationship with our Father under the headship of his Son, Jesus, who is better. We don't earn that. You don't have to come to this church for a while to kind of fit in and, and maybe do something like being baptized or, or uh, volunteer and, and become a good Christian in the midst. That's not how you get what Christ gives. You recognize you need it and you call upon him to forgive you. You plead with him for what he came to do. Save me, forgive me, cleanse me. I need you. Give me the faith to believe because I don't understand it all. Lord, do this for me. And we can have confidence in his response, in his answer, because he initiated it all. He came and he died so we could call upon him and he could say, here, it is done for you. It is already all done. Receive my grace to cleanse your life
and be whole in my name. Once we submit in faith to Christ, then we live in his constant intercession. Relationship now has been made whole. We're inseparable from Christ. The, the scripture, the language it uses over and over and over again is we are in Christ. Uh, scripture trying to communicate to us something beyond words and says to us, we're actually in Christ. We're so connected to him that all that he has done becomes ours. And all the favor he has from the Father is ours, and his victory over sin is ours, and his resurrection is ours, his life, his kingdom, it's all ours. We are in Christ. We submit by faith to Christ, and all of this becomes ours. We live in his intercession, constant intercession, faithful, powerful, permanent, perfect, unimprovable. Ministry out of heaven by the king of heaven is better. The point of what we're saying is this. We have such a high priest who is where? Seated. At the right hand of the majesty of heaven. Do we see where Scripture is pointing our attention and our hopes. It is in him, the one in the heavenly places, the one of majesty and glory. His ministry, verse 2, his ministry to us, his action, his labor for us, his ministry is better because the king of heaven will always be the better king. He's the one, the right hand of majesty. No one can claim the exalted status of Christ as king. And you can amen and celebrate that truth, and we do, particularly when we're in the context of our salvation, how wonderful that he has saved us. Uh, we have to make sure we have the same level of enthusiasm as we speak of that king and his rule over us. That is as wonderful as his salvation is his rule. To all of it, our hearts should be declaring amen. I have the salvation of God. And thank you, Lord, I have your rule. I live under your reign, your wisdom, not my own. It is utterly foolish to resist or ignore or compromise the rule of the king of heaven. How do we think we could possibly improve upon that? Particularly if we're looking at ourselves. 
the rule of the king of heaven or what I want to do. We resist God to get what we want, not seeing that every bit of it will end up as lost. Every single bit of it will be wasted. Nothing, nothing we accomplish or gather outside of Christ will remain. Nothing. It'll all be lost. Every bit of it. We ignore God when we think we have better options, which is a theological impossibility. Better options than the king of heaven. We compromise with God, with what he says. Because we think, it's going to be a little better for me. A little advantage. It can't. There is no compromise of what God says. That can benefit you. It can't. It won't. The heaven, the king of heaven is the better king. And the king of heaven has better promises. Verse 6, as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is much more excellent than the old as the covenant he mediates is better since it is enacted on better promises. Now, the, the better promises in verse 6, the, the previous promises uh, it's referring to are those of the old covenant, that which was given to the people of God, what was given through Moses. And those promises were pretty good. The human mediator of those promises in, in Moses for the people he was pretty strong. The promises were that God had a land for them and he would bless them in the land. He would enrich them there. He would protect them from diseases, from enemies. And you listen to those, you think, what more could you want? That's, you list the old covenant promises and the world would say, I think that's everything pretty much that I'm looking for in life. I'll, I'll just stick with that. But just as the tabernacle was just a shadow of the true presence of God, uh, so were the promises. Uh, they were speaking to what God has, speaking about the heart of God as we look to him and depend upon him, he will supply. But all of those promises, and as we know, the, the people simply weren't even capable of, of living in them and keeping them. And because of their sin, every promise wasn't fulfilled because they weren't faithful. And they lost all that was given to them and all God's provision. It, it, it kept imploding because of their sin. And all of those even for those who had the best of them, it was all temporary because we all, we all age and we die. 
and the roofs on our houses get old and leak and our washer begins to thud and rust out and everything else that we, when we got it, we thought was so beautiful and wonderful and cool and then doesn't work anymore. And even when people do this outstanding job of installing wood floors in your kitchen and then you have a leak and the wood starts to curl and even expert workmanship can't keep the foolishness of a guy who lets a leak mess up his wood floors. We just, everything, there's always gotta be something going wrong with it. We have promises in Christ that are much better because they're eternal and they don't depend upon us to make them work and last. It's all upon Christ and it's all enjoyed in his kingdom where everything is held up by his rule and his goodness and his perfecting us so that we can live forever, faithful and in submission. The New Testament, the new covenant promises are greater because the land is where the true tent and presence of God is. And the health of body is the health of a resurrection body. One perfect, lasting forever. It is a soul cleansed and forever free of guilt and sin. It is a new heaven and a new earth and perfected relationships. It is adoption into the family of God. It is the sum of all of the goodness that is in the heart of God for us. What our minds can't comprehend. We can't even dream of it, Scripture says. Are you a Christian believing in these things, yet finding you don't have a lot of satisfaction or joy in your life, even though, as the promises are mentioned, you say, yeah, I believe that one, believe that one. You can say, I believe, and yet somehow just life seems miserable here. Perhaps, probably. Now, we're going to say yes. This is what it is. <laughs> Are you looking for God to fulfill what you want? God, you're so wonderful here. Like, like your kids, you know, up for Christmas. You know, a list. You know, and God, do all this. You're able. You're powerful. Okay, do all this. I will be happy. Rather than whatever God is leading into with him, there is where joy, the joy is him. Loving him. Being near him. Obeying him with all that we can. That 
is where the joy is in him. Not him being able to do everything we want. We need to reorient our expectations to the king's better promises. Now, scripture says, if you're sick, pray that God would heal. And the scripture says, if you have need, go to the Lord for them. And the Lord loves to bless in all sorts of ways with the goodness he has placed in this world. But our hope is not in what will pass. Our hope is in Christ where all is perfected. And that's where we need to orient our thoughts, our hopes, what we're looking for. Is God being faithful to me? But we, we have to, what are the measurements we're using? Is it gospel measurement of where he's taking us, or is it the same measuring stick the world uses? And how much I have and how new it is, and does it keep working? The heavenly king is always the better king with better promises who intercedes with a better ministry. Christ has obtained a ministry much more excellent. Good kings, good leaders should selflessly serve the people. And we're hearing a lot of advertisements letting us know how much they'll serve us. And the other guy, not so much. Lots of promises about how well we will serve. But what earthly rulers completely do that? Find a place and time anywhere in world history where everyone was just saying, our rulers do nothing but make life better. <laughs> Everyone's disappointed all the time with their leaders because their leaders are just like you. Corrupt, sinful people, pretty selfish, making mistakes, wanting to do their things their way, listening to somebody to give them wisdom, and that person doesn't know what they're talking about either. And it just keeps going around. Jesus, the Son of God, became flesh and dwelt among us and went to the cross all to serve us. The king who really does perfectly care for his people, who does serve his people who is always completely committed to his people with the wisdom to know what that means, what it looks like. He takes every situation that you have and he works it for eternal good. Who else can do that? Jesus intercedes not just with what we cannot do, Lord, I'm not strong enough. Will you do this? He intercedes for what we cannot even dream of. For life we can't imagine. But by faith, the one who died and could take my sin, I'm trusting what I can't imagine, what he has promised. 
when we recognize the king of heaven is better, we'll close with this. When we recognize the king of heaven is better, there are, there are a couple results. First, we're able to begin shedding fear. And uncertainty is no longer as burdensome to us. Because our uncertainty and the world's turmoil that creates fear, none of this affects the king of heaven. He has no uncertainty, and there's nothing that we fear that he's afraid of or that is a problem to him. And so when we're embracing the king of heaven, of whom shall we fear? I remember a, a young Belarusian woman who was in one of my classes who had a history of anxiety. I think I might have shared this before. So she found herself becoming fearful, so she decided every time she gets anxious and fearful, she just runs its course to the absolute worst that could happen. So she says, you know, my, my parents, they, they don't get along, they divorce, I end up living in the street, I starve and I die, I'm with Jesus. Or I get sick and it ends up being cancer and I die and I'm with Jesus. So Jesus just took everything and let it be to the worst thing that could happen, which is I end up with Jesus. And she learned not to be afraid of the start of things. Oh, no, it leads to Jesus. Everything in the believer's life, everything just takes you to Jesus. Some things faster than others. As long as we keep our eyes fixed on him, then we have peace. Real honest peace. And if our eyes were focused on the world, how do we not have anxiety? How are we not fearful if we're consuming and looking at what the world is doing and what the world's arguing about and telling us what we need to be afraid of? Turn it off! You already know what's going to happen. I need to know what's going to happen. Okay, this is it. Book of Revelation, everyone who despises God is condemned and cast from him. Everyone who follows him is with him forever. That's how it ends. We already know. And so we find increasing joy and purpose in daily life while we're here in things that are hard and things that can be unpleasant. We find increasing joy and purpose in daily life because we share our life is, is now embedded into the king of heaven. And if our life is bound up in what the king of heaven is doing, how can life not be meaningful? And so even our ordinary routine cannot truly be ordinary because the supernatural 
extraordinary king of heaven is in our ordinary. Our ordinary is for him. And so the, the mom with the routine of just, are they all in the house? Are they all alive? And I think I hear them all. They're all screaming, so they're alive right now. And I just did all of this an hour ago and two hours ago and three hours ago and all of that which seems I am tired. And if in that you love Christ, those little ones will grow knowing about Jesus. There is nothing ordinary in a child growing up knowing their mom, their dad, their grandparent loves Jesus. There is nothing better to give them than that. When we actively submit our routine to Christ, we can expect that the Holy Spirit is going to be guiding us and using us in the lives of all the people connected to us in their situations. And the Holy Spirit, who is wondrous in all he does, who gifts us. If your heart is Lord in just the ordinary what I'm doing, may my life be of impact the people around me and he will do that because that's his heart to do that that's why he's in you to do that and so we can expect that he will be guiding and using us for a meaningfulness beyond what we could imagine beyond what we deserve believer we know the king of heaven is better so let's embrace his rule. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, oh, how we praise you for your Son that you sent him. You did not withhold him. We praise you, Jesus, for you came in all faithfulness. We need faith. Help us believe. Help us see strengthen our arms and our legs for we are weak you are not encourage your discouraged people today refresh them in the king with better promises better ministry and we ask together for those who have not seen and do not know how good Jesus is may they see him crucified and raised for all who will call upon him. Do these things in Jesus' name, amen.